Hi, I'm Darren Fox, and this is the Fast Leader Leadership Podcast for Frontline Leaders. And today we are talking about why you need to care about managing upwards and the best ways you can go about to improve the relationship with your manager and improve outcomes for your team. So listen in to learn what do we mean by managing up and why it's so important, the do's and do nots about doing it, and what might get in your way and how to overcome those obstacles. So joining us today are two experts in their field. Firstly, we have a regular podcast guest, Rachel Grant, who is the principal in the organizational development team at IAG. And we have Alistair Gordon, CEO of HFL Leadership, and he's my boss. Thank you both, Alistair and Rachel, for joining us. No problem. It's great to be here. It's good to be here. Awesome. Okay. So Alistair, some time ago when I reached out to all our previous podcast guests like you, and I gave everyone a list of future podcast topics, you specifically asked to talk about managing up. Why was that? But first, could you also explain what we mean by the phrase managing up? Yeah, so managing up has a lot of different connotations to different people. So I think that's a great question to start with. From my perspective, managing up means working actively on building a win-win relationship or partnership, if you like, with your boss. Typically, most people's managers are a really critical relationship in our lives and can make our lives very happy and fulfilled and absolute misery and everywhere in between. So, so it's not about sucking up to your manager or not that you would ever do that, Darren, or you're manipulating your manager or anything like that. It's really about working proactively about building a, a very effective partnership so both your manager and yourself can do the very best work you can. Mm. Great. Rachel, why do you think managing up is so important for frontline leaders? It's a really great question, Darren. And I think for me, probably two key call-outs, I would say, in the importance for frontline leaders. I think the first one is, and it links to Alistair's point around that proactive partnership, but it leads to that frontline leader's ability to be really clear about the communications that are coming through from an organisation and also the strategic direction. So the information that a frontline leader can be provided with or really be able to then use with their team comes from that clarity that they are provided with from their own leader and manager. So it's really being able to discuss the communications, the projects, the organisational direction and therefore strategy that they can be involved in it, they can perform against as a team. And I think the second importance comes from the team and their ability to make sure that their team is being proactive, performing at its highest and really having a strength in their outcomes. So being able to manage up effectively also allows you to have that high performing team and really ensure that your team is aligned to the strategic direction of the organisation as well and is performing against that as a team and also is feeding back to the organisation around what they're seeing, what they're doing, and therefore how they're being able to provide outcome as a team. Thanks for that, Rachel. Other than avoidance, what are some of the common mistakes that you see managers making when they do attempt to manage up? Obviously, you've said other than avoidance. I think we still need to call that one out. I think not feeling like there is permission to do so. So less to do with avoidance, but more, is this an appropriate direction I can take? Am I able to open up conversation in this way? I think we often get into rhythms of, 
interactions with our leaders and our managers. And we think that those are the only types of interactions we can have, whether it be updates on projects or specific around common areas or topics. And we forget sometimes that those review conversations, those abilities to provide feedback to our leader are sometimes the most crucial conversations that we can be having in that area. And I think it goes to that definition of what we mean by managing up as well. Another area is obviously potentially the way in which they go about managing up. So what is the intent that they have when opening that chain of dialogue? And I don't think that's always done before they kind of attempt to go in. And therefore, there may not be any clarity then when they attempt to start the conversation. So they're probably the two key call-outs I've got. But I'm also interested to hear from Alistair because I know that we've kind of talked about many different mistakes that managers do when they attempt to manage up as well. Yeah, I've got a great big long list. Excellent. (laughs) And I guess just to answer your earlier question, Darren, about why I wanted to do this particular topic, it's because this topic, and I know Rachel has the same experience, comes up in coaching all the time. It is one of the most critical relationships. And I'm amazed actually at how people will manage down using coaching techniques and listening and asking questions and being open, but they won't manage up using the same tactics, which doesn't make any sense if you think about it. I think the biggest mistakes I see, rather than going through my whole long list, is that people believe that their managers think the same way as they do, believe that their managers have the same priorities as they do, believe that their managers are put on the earth to make their life pleasurable and to help them succeed in their career and so on and so forth. And of course, some of those things might be true, but quite often your boss has other people that they're worried about as well and they have different KPIs and they have different objectives and missions. The other big mistake I see people make, which again is such an obvious one if you think about it, is they haven't really thought about the differences in style between the way their manager operates and they operate. Is your manager really detailed in your big picture or the other way around? Is your manager someone who rarely speaks their mind and likes to think about things for a very long period of time, whereas you just, you know, rather like me, shoot from the hip all the time and you know, expect everybody else to do it. So the differences and that conversation about how are we going to work together when we have a slightly different style or we have different intents or we have different KPIs, that conversation that Rachel's talking about, which is about relationship and partnership, not task, as Rachel was alluding to, I think these are the two big areas that I see people making most mistakes. Yeah, great, great point, Alistair. And uh, let me assure you that I'm under no assumption that you're here to make my life pleasurable at all. (laughs) Good, I'm glad to have that clear. Just want to circle back to one of the comments that you made, Rachel, around giving feedback to your manager. That is something that will make a lot of people uncomfortable in terms of giving feedback to someone who's more senior or a greater power position than you. So are there different ways to approach giving that feedback to your manager for the first time to make that process easier for people who might be nervous or uncertain about giving some feedback to the manager that they think they need to hear? I think for me, one of them is a mindset change for the individual. And I think it goes to Alistair's point around how we work differently. And I think the first call out I would make is to have a think about how often that that leader or manager might be receiving feedback. 
because as we become leaders or we start to become more senior, it's less often that we are provided with feedback. So it's to have a think about, is this something that this person is needing or probably wants from me in the first instance? So it's that intent behind the conversation. Is this going to help the individual? Am I being constructive? Which is actually kind of similar to how you would approach it for a peer or potentially someone that is a direct report to you. But in an instance, that is less frequent for your leader. So I think that helps frame the conversation around potentially you might approach it is, I'm not sure if you're aware or how often that this might have come up for you before, but this is what I'm seeing as your direct report. So I think that helps provide that intent as to why you're providing the feedback and can help frame the conversation. And that might be slightly different to how you would do that for a direct report or your peer. That would be one of my key call-outs. Yeah, and I think also that if you're talking about trying to establish a really good working relationship and rhythm with your manager, then how you share feedback with each other would be one of the settings that you discuss at the beginning. Like, for example, Darren, how would you like me to give you feedback and vice versa? And when people have given you feedback and it's really upset you, how did they do it so that I know to avoid doing it that way, like in a very long email or something, or you know, just being very direct? So this is a classic example of where if you have an adult conversation about how should we give each other feedback, what settings will be comfortable for both of us, suddenly you've completely changed that mindset that Rachel's talking about. And I'm just struck by the other thing that Rachel said, which I think is just super true and people forget, is that the further north you go in an organisation, the less feedback you get. And you could argue the further north you go in an organisation, the further up, I mean, the more you need it, actually. And, of course, it requires, as you were alluding to, Darren, courage from people to you know, say to a senior person, would you like some feedback? And I'll give you a perfect example of where this comes up most in our programs and coaching is when there is inappropriate behavior by a senior leader towards more junior people, either around diversity or, you know, sexism or picking people out in some way. The worst conversation you could possibly imagine having with a senior male, for example, is saying, do you realize in that meeting you treated that female in a completely dismissive and sexist way? That requires an enormous amount of courage because it's a very confronting conversation. Of course, it's very confronting for the senior leader as well. And uh, generally speaking, they don't react well to that. So I think the more you have this conversation about how we're going to give each other feedback, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And those specific examples, I genuinely believe that the vast majority of people don't wake up in the morning to be abusive or sexist. They might not even be aware that they've done that and would be very surprised to receive fat feedback and hopefully quite thankful. I don't want to meet the person that actually wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be a sexist today. The obvious thing to do is ask for feedback. This is the leadership podcast. So what's the best practice for getting feedback as a leader is to ask ask for it and to make sure that everyone understands they have permission to give feedback. And, you know, seniority is not important because none of us are perfect. We're all working on our leadership capability. We're now leading in a virtual world, effectively, which is massively complicated thing. So goodness me, we're learning as we go along right now. So we need all the feedback we can get. And as soon as you give permission to people... 
the, the next thing you have to learn to do is when somebody does give you feedback, react well to it. <laughs> so rather than knock someone over the head, even if you disagree, you say, okay, well, look, thank you for giving me that feedback. Let me take that away and process it. That's really valuable. And as soon as you have that sort of setting going, then you're almost always going to start having a high-performing team because people are working together to improve collegiately and collectively. So a good way of summarizing managing up for our frontline leaders is think about how do you encourage your staff to manage up with you and how would you like to come across and role model that stuff and expect your manager to do the same. Senior leaders are looking for feedback and usually quite thankful. Let that give you some confidence that when you do give feedback, it'll probably be accepted graciously. This is a good segue then in terms of my next question. In your minds and what you've seen, what does really good managing up really look like in action? So Alistair, what does it actually look like? I think there is total clarity and transparency between the manager and the report. And everybody knows exactly what's expected, what's hoped for, what's unacceptable, what good looks like, what great looks like, what poor looks like. As Rachel mentioned earlier on, real clarity about what are we here to do? How are we here to support the strategy being executed in our business? So there's that super communication, not just good communication, like super communication, even to the point where in an ideal world, I might be thinking about my boss and that boss might not be here, but I know what they'd say in this situation. Like I'm able to imagine if they were not available for me to ask a question, I can pretty much imagine what their answer is likely to be because we've already had these sort of pre-conversations and we've already got a good, good clarity. And that for me would be the, the most essential item. And that implies the number one thing that makes all good relationships brilliant, which is trust. We trust each other. We trust each other to do the right thing most of the time. And we trust each other to point out when we're not doing the right thing. And Rachel, where do you see that works well? Yeah, I think picking up on that point, I think the other one is around your rhythms. So really good managing up is when you're in a rhythm of communication, you've set the tone for what we're meeting and when and, and providing space and opportunity for those conversations to build the relationship and to provide feedback. So we often talk about the no agenda meeting, the meeting where we can just shoot different ideas and different thoughts, and that can be the opportunity to provide feedback. I think building that into the rhythm, otherwise we tend to have those conversations that are very action or task focused. And then I think to both of those points, so the one around the rhythms and also the one around clarity expectations, knowing our performance expectations and the strategy. I think a lot of frontline leaders on the call, either with their leader or with their own team would be thinking, what if we don't have those in place already? What if that's not happening already? And I think my advice there is really good managing up is start. Doesn't matter where you are in the relationship, as long as you've got a general base of trust and acknowledgement around the relationship is to start those rhythms, add in those actions and opportunities to discuss different things in your meeting rhythms, as well as getting clear and transparent in your communications as well. Mm. And I think another important point to make about what good looks like is what I think both of you mentioned earlier in the podcast is that this can be essentially another coaching relationship. Coaching isn't just around coaching your direct reports. Coaching is a technique that can be used peer-to-peer -peer and can be used managing upwards as well. 
using that technique around questioning to help people get to a point is just as valid with your managers as anybody else. Can I just add that probably my answer was very much around the now, what are we hoping to achieve now? But probably the most elevated super relationships between manager and report are also something that has a slightly longer horizon than that, where you know the manager understands the aspirations of the member of staff, what they're hoping to achieve, how they want their career to develop, and what support that looks like. And similarly, the report understanding what the pressures the manager is under mm-hmm. and the constraints that they're operating within and so on. So they have that sort of it's not just about the two of them, it's also about the context of where they're both going and, and what have you. So certainly the best manager relationships I've ever had in my life have been where the managers ask me a lot about what I'd like to achieve and is really constantly thinking about how they can help me do that. And that that's hugely trust orientated, but also generates a lot of loyalty and it generates a lot of incremental effort yeah. because you really want to please that manager because they're on your side and they're in there for you. And I think, Alistair, that's a really good point as well, not only knowing the aspirations of your direct reports and discussing that, but also knowing that same context of your leader. Because I think knowing where your leader is heading, what's on their agenda, where their priorities lie, again, that sticks in the back of your mind as you're performing as part of their team. So I think that's a really good call out that the managing up relationships, there's things you want to keep open and discussing and those agenda-free items or meetings that you've got, and then you can also take a longer-term view as well together. So it really sounds like another technique to bring into this idea of managing up is almost thinking as your manager as another stakeholder. How do we do stakeholder management and engagement is what is your stakeholders' objectives and goals and what are they seeking? What are their styles? And how do I actually tweak my approach to meet their style? How do I apply my stakeholder engagement, management, relationship building techniques to the relationship I have with my manager. And it makes sense that you're also looking for those derailing things, because if you're talking about stakeholder engagement, one of the things that you do is you ask people, what sort of things that I do make your blood boil or really upset you or derail your work environment or what have you? Again, having the openness to ask those sorts of questions. And I just want to make the point that Very often those conversations come in the conversations that Rachel is talking about, which is meetings with no agendas. Mm. Because meetings with agendas tend to be so task-orientated and business-orientated, work in progress, that it's actually when you are relaxing, you know, with a cup of coffee or what have you, and just shooting the breeze, that you can talk about those things, I think, without pressure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the... In my previous organisation in particular, you know, I was in an, an acting role, And my manager was put into an acting role as well. And so we were both learning. And some of our best conversations were done over a cup of coffee uh, on the cafe on the ground floor. All right, so let's, let's move on. My next question for you is, what could be some of the obstacles that could get in the way of managing up? So for example, sometimes you think your manager is a jerk. It's unlikely that your manager is a jerk, but you may perceive that person to be a jerk. Or you work in a very close-knit team, and I have experienced this before. You work in a very close-knit team, it's very collaborative, very egalitarian, and to be seen as quote-unquote managing up may be perceived by your peers as acting competitively. So how do you think people can overcome these obstacles? Rachel, how about we get your thoughts first? Perfect. So I think the first one, and it goes back to something we've mentioned quite a number of times in the podcast so far, is intent. 
So I think with a few of those obstacles, it's being really clear on the intent that you have behind managing up and sometimes being quite transparent with that. Mm -hmm. So if we take the example of of the close-knit team, and I think there's two aspects to that that I've seen, not only that being perceived as competitive by your peers or your teammates, but also potentially not having the team's back about your own direct reports. I've actually seen that play out in a bit. And I think it's being very transparent of your intent of building that relationship and managing up, but that is to the advantage of your peers to the group and your team as well. So I think it's the why, being really clear on the why. The other area I think is being really clear on the commonality that you're building with your manager as well. You know, What commonality can you build in? Where can you discuss or look at achieving things together? So if you perceive the person themselves as someone that you wouldn't necessarily go and have a beer with or go and have a coffee with, Darren, it might be what's my intent here and where can I build commonality? with this person because they are an important stakeholder as we've just mentioned so what can I do to find the positives within this relationship I may not get along with them as a person but what is our commonality what are our needs that we have by having this relationship and let's build on that so it would probably be some examples of those obstacles yeah so common goals higher purpose is always a good place to start yeah it's that concept isn't it of being adult enough to be prepared to agree to disagree about some things. And let's focus on what we do agree needs to be done and let's go in that area. I think one of the biggest obstacles to answer your question, Darren, that I see is where there is a disconnect between values. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure that it's an obstacle that's surmountable, actually. When I was thinking about manager relationships that I've had that have been very positive and manager relationships that have been negative, where we never resolved them was where we just had different ethical base and just didn't agree with the way we were doing things. And that generally speaking ends in tears, I find, because values are so deep set that you can't really change them. Anything around policy or, you know, should we do strategy A or strategy B or strategy C? It seems to me that those sort of things are resolvable and you can get around. The other obstacle maybe is if your manager To use your example earlier on, that no one gets up in the morning thinking, I'm going to be a jerk of a manager today. Maybe we give people an opportunity to not be a jerk. Maybe we ask them, were you intending to be a jerk this morning when you got out of bed? Because that's kind of how you're coming across. So I think that takes us right back to feedback, that if your manager's being a jerk, you need to find out why. Mm. Yeah. Okay, last question for you both. Do you have a, a personal story that you could share where you were able to turn a poor relationship with a manager around into a great one. Alternatively, if you've coached some others to do that as well, how did you go about doing that? And what was the outcome for both you and that manager? Alistair, I can see you're smiling, although the podcast, nobody can see that. Looks like you've got a good story to tell. Well, I'm not sure it's a good story, but just to give you some context, obviously, the people listening to the podcast need to understand I'm a consultant. So I have quite a few managers who actually are in different organizations indeed up until relatively recently one of my managers was Rachel for example because at the end of the day I was providing services to her organization she was responsible for making sure that I did my job properly and that at the end of the day is a manager responsibility and I'm not talking in this story about Rachel but a few years ago I had a client who was effectively managing me and 
micromanaging me and being quite nice to me, but being absolutely rude and appalling to my support staff upon whom I depend to provide the consulting services. And it got to the point where I had to ring up that client who was worth, by the way, a lot of money to the company at the time and say that I think they had to find a new supplier because we couldn't continue working for them with the current settings that we had in the relationship. And that setting was that person was the master and we were the slaves. And that's not the way that we operate. It's not a good basis for a good relationship. We're interested in partnership and co-creation and all those sort of things that we've been talking about already. And I thought it was going to end extremely badly. And indeed, the person hung up on me at the time. So I thought it really had ended badly. But about a couple of hours later, the person rang back and apologised and wanted to have a meeting and we talked through things. And I began to understand the pressure that that person was under. We had a conversation about the things that were making that person's blood boil that we probably weren't paying enough attention to, in fairness. And then we had a conversation about the things that were important to us and made our blood boil. And probably within two or three days of that conversation, we reset the relationship, not just between me and this person, but also my team. And it went on, I'm happy to say, to be one of the most successful professional relationships I've had with someone. But it really taught me that we didn't understand where that person was coming from and we should have spent more time in that area. But if I had not called it out, nothing would have changed. And I think it changed for the better for both of us, actually. Great. Thanks, Hollister. Rachel, have a, a story that you might be able to share. Yeah, the story I was going to pick up on is actually a situation where I was the manager being managed up, which was fantastic. But to Alistair's point, it was a new team member. Hmm. The situation was they were new and we were giving them quite a number of stretch opportunities within that role because they were someone who had come in at a coordinator level and were looking to come to an advisor level and they were very much on that trajectory and I really think it was that case of you want to keep really close to them as they're navigating the organization for the first time they're navigating that particular work for the first time but then it is a case of how do you reset that and not continue to micromanage or For myself, the situation was I was still coming in and leading meetings with stakeholders or with the project team where it really got to a point where that person could easily take the lead, probably could say the things, as Alistair was saying, better than I could, could position them better, give better updates, and I wasn't the most responsible person who should have been doing it at that point. So I think that's a good case, and then that person in that situation did raise it and said very openly, I think I'm ready to lead, I think I've got this now is that okay with you and made me feel great and did the coaching questions around what would you need in order to feel comfortable with that what do you need me to do in order for that to happen so I thought that was a really great conversation it made me reset my thinking around okay where are they up to do I feel that their capability is there of which it was and then but what do I need to feel more comfortable do I need them to give me a briefing after they've had those particular meetings does it need to be a conversation or can it be an email and that kind of thing? So it was a really great opportunity and and that meant that I could step away and I could focus on the areas that were most relevant for what I was working on strategically. That person had the opportunity to step up and to lead and for us to really follow up together and say what's working and it actually enabled us to perform better and more efficiently as a team as well to have that in place. And that's why I hired them in the first place. So, you know, that's fantastic. 
Yeah, great example. And I mean, I always think that the role of the manager is around continual improvement and to get people to perform higher than you are able to. Make everyone better than you are. And sometimes even maybe put you out of a job. Yeah. And anyone who's building a really high-performing team of people coming in and getting better at the job than you are is very valuable to any organization. That's right. They won't be made redundant. They'll be deployed very quickly into other areas of the business that need the same sort of skills. That's exactly it. Well, it's a podcast in itself. How to guarantee a career progression by making everybody else in your team better than you are. You're absolutely right. You become invaluable by doing that because... The whole organization and the team grows through that. Yes. We'd like to finish the podcast by just giving an opportunity for our guests to briefly talk about what they do and what their organization does. Rachel, tell us about you and IAG. Thanks, Darren. So if people are following the podcast along, we'll know that I definitely worked for a different organization the last time I did a podcast, which is Genesis Care. I've now transitioned into a principal role in organizational development with IAG, which is Insurance Australia Group. Mm -hmm. We're a group across Australia and New Zealand that is involved in insurance. So many of those that might be listening have probably got policies with NRMA, CGU and NZI. So a few of our key brands across insurance, but IAG is really the parent company for those organisations. And we also look at providing a safer community across Australia and New Zealand by what we do and how we support our customers as well. And I work in our organisational development team, really supporting the culture and leadership across the organisation. Thanks, Rachel. And Alistair, can you tell us a little about HFL? With HFL, we're a leadership development consultancy, and we also work in the expertship space, which is where we're helping experts be the best experts they can be. We run a range of leadership programs, both bespoke and ones like Fastlead, for example, that are bespoke for the participants rather than the organisation. And of course, managing highly, highly intelligent, brilliant employees such as Darren. And dealing with people attempting to do manage upwards. All right, thank you very much to you both for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will as well with all your fantastic hints and tips. Thank you, Alistair. And thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for the opportunity, Darren. And thank you to our listeners. Until next time, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the Fast Lead website, fastlead.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 Fast Lead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the Fast Leader Podcast. Thank you. Yeah.